Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you use the area code in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, is 225. Right in front of that, 291-6901. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from people all around the country and, of course, all around town. Sure even around the world if you're willing to get up at the right time zone <laughs> well it's like gentlemen last week or week before we called from los angeles said, look if i can call from los angeles there you go i gotta get up three hours early <laughs> people from baton rouge can don't sure call <laughs> now, i've got to agree with you yep. <laughs> yeah give us a call of course we generally have some sort of a topic that we muddle around right with but it doesn't matter you can always call anything happens to be on your mind anything that's bugging you or you're working on your old car or Working thinking about you? working on your car, thinking about buying a car. There you go. That, that's a good topic. There you go. That's right. Just give us a call. And speaking of email, uh-huh. I had a number of really good ones this week that just kind of stuck in my mind. And one, I know we have mentioned this in the past, but it's been several years. And I think this is a very good topic. Gentleman wrote, and he said that he had, I think it was a Dodge Charger. Okay. Like uh, a 1970, somewhere, somewhere late, like late 60s, early 70s model. And he had always intended to restore the car, but ironically, with children and all life, that. Life got in the way? Yeah, life, life got in the way, <laughs> and it's been sitting for a number of years. Right. Well, now uh, his children are older, and he would like to get them and himself to have like a little bonding experience, fixing sure. the old car up. And he was wondering, what do we need to do with this car after it's been sitting for a number of years? There's several things that need to be done to that vehicle. First off, foremost is probably get the old fuel out of it. I think that is probably one of the most important things, just because few things have as devastating effect as old, stale, separated fuel. And unfortunately, for the last 15 years, we've had ethanol in our fuel. Which makes it even worse. Far, far, far worse, because ethanol has an affinity for moisture. Moisture causes corrosion. These vehicles were not designed ever to use ethanol. No. So they generally had a steel tank in them. You know, right. Modern-day cars have a nylon tank. Well, that steel tank is going to corrode and rust, and it's going to be full of gunk and gum and, and everything else from that old fuel. Well, yeah, and what some people want to do is add something to that old nasty fuel and then try to start the car. Well, that's probably the worst thing you can oh, do. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because when you put all these injector cleaners and all that stuff in it, you're just breaking up the sludge, and then you're pumping it through the entire fuel system. Exactly. So you make the situation far, far, far worse. Much better is to drop the fuel tank. Just go ahead. Well, just go, go ahead and figure replacing the tank. Probably going to need possible. to replace it, but drop it at very least. Take the fuel pump out. If there's rust all over the fuel pump, get Lord. a flashlight, look inside the tank. If there's rust in the tank, just go ahead and figure out a new tank, a new pump. New lines. New lines. New carburetor. And new fuel pump. If it's all nice and clean by some miracle, then drain all the fuel out, clean it out, blow the lines good, yep. and then you can go forward from, from that there. point. With but you fuel. never want to force any of this stuff through the fuel system because right. you're going to make things far, far, far worse. Let's catch a few of these phone calls. We've right. got Kevin online. Good morning, Kevin. Hey, good morning there, Lewis. Uh, and Terry, it's good to talk with you guys again this morning. Great. Uh, I'm the guy from West Virginia here. Okay. Uh, I was wanting to ask you two questions, if I may. You bet. Uh, sure. The, the first, well, the first one's actually a statement. I have a 2008 Audi, and I know you guys you know, don't work with the European vehicles. Right. But I just want to let you know, I had a lot of trouble trying to get somebody to work on the replacing the bearings in the front wheel bearings. 
a whole hub assembly. Mm -hmm. And I guess whenever I finally fit the bullet and paid somebody to do the work, they said that whoever did the job before, now at 130,000 miles, I think the wheel bearings would be about ready to go out the first time. They said that somebody had already replaced the bearing. Mm -hmm. And whenever they pressed that hub assembly into the aluminum spindle, by the way, Mm -hmm. they didn't use any lubricant or anti-seed. Okay. And so I'm kind of worried about that because they said that if you know, they, they would rather me just buy new spindles, well, it's $750 wow. a piece. Mm-hmm. As a college student, that's a little tough to bite. Sure. But, but I just want to let you know that that's the thing I've been trying to do with this car is actually get the OEM parts. And I really don't understand why anybody would use aftermarket parts on a car like that, a luxury item where it's a, it's a more expensive vehicle. Mm-hmm. Why in the world would somebody use cheap parts? Yeah. Uh, unless they shouldn't have bought the vehicle to begin well, with. Well, that, uh, it's just false economy. Yeah. People look at the price and don't look at the cost. You know, sure, the difference sure. in price and cost is huge, but people haven't really caught on to that in every case. But, uh, yeah, they go for that low price and they get bid every time. I mean, nothing more common than that. Absolutely. And the second question, uh, the question I had for you, my dad has a 2006 Lincoln Town car. Mm-hmm. I believe it has the 4.6 liter. It does, the, uh, yeah. And the intake manifold is leaking. Yeah, very Uh, very common. common. Very common problem on that car. Very common. The question I had is, I guess the OEM part is still plastic, Mm -hmm. and they some people do make a it's a plastic intake manifold that has metal in there as well. Right. Well, even the OEM part is going to come with the aluminum piece in the front. They've they've updated that. You don't get the solid aluminum, the solid plastic one anymore. It's going to be plastic with the aluminum piece on the front. Okay. Whether it's half market or original. Right. Okay, that's what I wanted to ask. We, you know, if we're going to fix it, we might as well fix it right. And, uh, and yeah, if that's the updated part, then that's the way to go. But mm-hmm. Okay, well, guys, I thank you so much. Hope the weather's doing well down there for you. Not so. bad. Mm-hmm. Kind of hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I hear you. We, we've been driving all night to, over to Oklahoma City. So oh, we're, wow. We're, <laughs> we're about 750 miles in right now. So. Wow. All right, guys, thank you so much. I sure appreciate all it. Right, Kevin, all right, Kevin. Thanks for calling, man. <laughs> yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Mark on the line. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, gentlemen. Yes, sir. Good morning. I had a question for you on a 98 Toyota Camry. Okay. I was going to replace some of the power steering fluid in mm-hmm. the car. Okay. As you suggested on your uh, radio program in sure. the past. Mm-hmm. The owner's manual recommends Dexron 2 or 3 Sorry. transmission mm-hmm. fluid. Yes, mm-hmm. Correct. And I'm having a hard time finding that. Can I use a newer version of that, the Dexron 6? Well, the 6 is going to be a synthetic right. fluid, but the the 3 or 2 or whatever is going to be very, very widely available. It's just not going to be labeled as 2 or 3 because the basically the patent has expired on that. But anything that has the word Dexron on it is going to be 3 compatible. So, it, okay. in fact, it'll probably say Dexron Mercon. Right. Because Mercon's pattern has expired, Dextron's pattern has expired long, long, long ago. So normally it'll say Dextron Mercon on it. Any of those will work. Now, that being said, theoretically, you could put the Dex 6 in there. It is a synthetic fluid. The only issue with synthetic on an older car like that is it may reveal some leaks that were there anyway. And maybe it had a little sludge or something in there plugging them up. Some people don't like to do that. I've done it before, and I've never had any problem. But, yeah, the Deck 6 would be totally compatible with 3 or 2 or any of the others. And Mercon is also compatible now. Okay, and I, I do recall seeing the, the Dex Mercon. Correct. At the auto parts That store. is basically right. Dexron 3 now. Right. 
they've, they've just changed oh. the name because of the patents expired on it. And Dextron was technically a brand name of General Motors. Mercon was a brand name of Ford Motor Company. And, but the, the chemical makeup of them will be the same. In fact, if you read on the back, it says meets all specifications of Dextron 3 or Mercon. Okay. Well, gentlemen, I really appreciate it. That helps me out. Okay. Sounds great. Have a great day. Thanks, Thank Mark. You. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive. We would love to have you. We were talking before the break on about old cars that have been maybe sitting for trying, a while. Trying to get them going again. Particularly those that have not been stored in sure. the best possible method. Exactly. So we're going to talk more about that and a whole lot more as soon as we get back from our first break. I get your kicks on Route 66. Hey, Mike, heading out for your run? <laughs> I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep, did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, you know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right. I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us at the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, we sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. If you have a question or a comment on the show, give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that, you can reach us from anywhere outside of our area code. There you go. Anywhere you may be. You there you go. Give us a call. And we always appreciate when folks take the effort to call us from sure. outside of state and even when people take the effort to call us from inside <laughs> the city we were speaking a little bit about cars that have been sitting and we're kind of talking about antique cars but this could also be just a current driver sure we see this a lot where maybe an elderly person has a car and they don't drive it very much if at all for the last several years of their life and maybe they'll pass away and the car sits in a garage or something. And before you know it, four, three, four, five years have gone by and the car has not been run or started. Right. Now, it's not going to be that you're just going to hop in this car and drive off. It's, it's not like the movies. You see a guy who's in a coma for 25 years, he jumps up and starts running yeah. races and all. That just doesn't happen whether there's people or cars. There's going to be a fairly involved number of things that you have to do to get this car ready to drive again. Right. And we talked a little bit about the fuel system because that's one of those things, particularly with ethanol fuel, which virtually everything out there is going to have ethanol fuel in it, unless they happen to go out somewhere and find some non-ethanol fuel and put into it. There but, are a few stations around, but, I mean, for the price difference yeah. between the, the non-ethanol and the, the ethanol, mm -hmm. there's a substantial price difference. So odds are it's had ethanol right. sitting in it for years. It's separated. It's become water and sludge, and it's eaten up the fuel system so that may be the first thing you want to do i know we've got a little toyota mr2 mm -hmm. at the shop that gentleman was very serious about restoring and once we got into it we found that the fuel system was so 
terribly corroded, and there are no parts available because that was a very limited production car. It was. Toyota has discontinued them, and there are no aftermarket parts available. So basically the car is going to end up going to the parts pile. I told him better off would be to find a car that's already running that has a good fuel system, use this one for parts to restore that one if you right. like. But you're just not going to be able to, if you can't get the parts and you've got to have, you know, you want to attack that probably first. So once you get the fuel system up to snuff, get fresh fuel in it, like Brian mentioned briefly, you may have to rebuild or replace the carburetor because, again, the fuel's been sitting in that. I mean, the, the, the orifices inside of that carburetor are so small until it doesn't take a whole lot of corrosion to stop them up, and when that happens, it will not run. Right, and the accelerator pump is probably, probably all shrunk up and not operating any longer. Right. I mean, first thing you want to do is try to get it running. If it doesn't run, then you got to step back and look and say, is this car going to take this kind of money to mm-hmm. get going again? Or, you know, what direction do we need to go if it doesn't run? Right. But if you get one that runs, once you get it started and it runs fairly decent, there's a few more things you need to look at before you kind of make that final decision. Well, yeah, and I guess once you get the fuel system squared away, obviously it's going to need a battery because batteries don't last forever. It'll probably be dead. You're going to need to change the oil in it. You're going to need to change really all of the fluids in it, the oil, even the transmission fluid. Oh, yeah. And I don't care if it was changed the day before they set it up. Right. If it's been sitting there five, six years or more, that fluid has just gotten so nasty and full of contaminants and all. So I would look at changing the transmission fluid, the power steering fluid, the coolant, you know, absolutely, the oil, Maybe the rear differential fluid, if avail- if they have that. Transfer case fluid, if they have that. Basically, all of the fluids need to get swapped out, and the battery needs to get replaced. Right. Now, some cars had wheel bearings on them that could be packed. If that is the case, it may not be a bad idea to go ahead and break down the wheel bearings, pack those again. Most of the newer stuff is going to be sealed bearings. You're not going to be able to do that, so you just have to drive it and see if the bearing fails. And when you're at that point, you have to take the brakes apart anyway. Right. So look at the hoses, look at the definitely look at the fluid. The fluid needs to be changed regardless. Brake fluid, like all fluids. Right. The hoses, the, the hoses are going to rot over time. Brake hoses are going to dry rot, and not only may they blow out and lose your brakes, but the debris on the inside of the hose is going to probably get in the calipers if they're not already bad. Exactly. They're going to go bad. So you may be into brake. And even I've seen pad material start to just flake off. Right, and because crack, of age, it just starts break, right off the breaking plate. off and dropping off. So you start driving it, the pad material comes off, and the rivet seat, the rotors up. Right. Well, how much better might it have been just to go ahead and put a fresh set of pads on it? Well, you were there anyway. And if you can do the work yourself, a set of pads just don't cost that much, particularly on old cars like that. Right. So I would probably look at changing most of the rubber parts mm-hmm. in the brake system. If it and again, everything's a matter of degree. Right. If it's been sitting for a year. That's one thing. If it's been sitting for ten years, then that's a whole different thing. Exactly. Now, while we're talking about rubber, and a lot of people do not, this doesn't occur to them, but tires have a service life. They do. About six years. Now, this thing may have had a brand new set of tires put on it the day before it was set up. They may look like brand new, but they are not brand new. (laughs) Right. Every tire made from 1990 has a date on it. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the tire sidewall, either one side or both, there will be a DOT number. Right. It'll start with the letters DOT. And then at the end, there's going to be, if it's a three-digit code, it was made in the 90s. That definitely needs it's to go. Right. 
When 2000 came, they went to a four-digit code, which the first two digits are the month. Mm -hmm. The second two digits are the year the tire was made. For instance, if you have 1507, that is the 15th week of 2007. Correct. And that's the way you read that code. And if you go to our website and just type in tire date code, there's a whole article with photographs and everything to show you how to do that. But you do want to change those tires if they're old. Do not fall into the trap of, well, these still look good. They'll be okay. No, they won't. That, they're going to exactly. blow out. They're going to tear the car up, and they're going to kill you or hurt somebody else. Exactly. Same thing with the valve stems. They're old. They right. need to be replaced. You just that's just figure that into the cost of the car. Right. And I don't care how good they look. And I don't if, care who tells you different. If they're old. Yeah, if they tell you, well, it's been sitting in the garage or, well, it's been this or it's been that, I don't care. I guarantee you they're going to separate once they get hot. And when they do, they're going to hurt somebody. It, it might be me. <laughs> you never <laughs> I know. I might be coming the other way on real estate. So. You never know. <laughs> Let's go back to our phone line with Paul. Good morning, Paul. Uh, good morning, y'all. Yes, good sir. Good morning. Now, I have a 06 Dodge uh, Ram truck I just purchased. Mm -hmm. It has a 5.7 Hemi engine in it. Okay. Is there a difference between a Hemi and a non-Hemi engine? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. What Hemi means, technically, is it's a hemispherical-shaped combustion chamber. In other words, most engines, a vast majority of them, have a wedge-shaped chamber. It's higher on one side than the other, and both valves sit side by side. In a hemispherical engine, it's a round combustion chamber, and the valves sit between the intake and exhaust. The whole purpose is that it flows the fuel-air mixture more efficiently than a non, like a wedge-type engine. Those were developed way back, way back, maybe in the 30s yeah. or 40s as an aircraft engine. Like your P-51 Mustang, I think, had a hemispherical engine. Right. And then Chrysler caught up on that and started building them back in the 50s. I think one of them was a 392, and then later they came out with the 426. But Chrysler's always been real big on that hemispherical design. It has a much bigger valve cover, a more involved method of activating the valves and all that. So most other manufacturers never did adopt it. In other words, the benefit was not worth the cost so they said but it's just sort of a performance enhancement but yeah it's definitely different and it has to do with the shape of the combustion chamber i understand i understand another question on that engine i'm reading that this engine has a feature where it four cylinders that's number cylinders cut out at, uh, most newer engines time. have that yes yeah, called displacement on demand almost all of your newer engines are going to have that and when i say newer probably from what oh. mid 2000s on up yeah gm's had that for, for a while for years nothing to really be scared of it does give a little bit of trouble from time to time but overall it's not any more problematic than any of the new technology i know the way gm works they have four solenoids inside the intake valley and they'll open and pump additional oil pressure to the valve which causes the lifter to collapse and when the lifter collapses what it does is it that valve just doesn't open. I, neither of the valves will open, and it cuts the spark and it cuts the injector. So what's happening is that it's just acting like an air compressor. You still lose a little efficiency because it has to compress the air, but on the downstroke, it pushes the air pressure pushes the piston back down. So it's a net sum loss, and it's sort of one of those things where some engineer decided, hey, this will save gas. In my opinion the amount of fuel it saves is almost none and the complexity is just not worth the problem but it's in there you know i understand yeah right okay appreciate the appreciate the answers Ed. you yeah, bet yeah matter whole much thanks man thank you bye-bye mm, all right 291-6901 is the number if you want to part of the automotive hour we would love to have you and we were talking about a car that's been sitting for a while right 
And certainly it's a good idea to get this to someone who has a lift where they can raise the car up, even if you have to tow it to a shop. Sure. Get them under the car and let them inspect very thoroughly because you have things like the muffler hangers are all rubber. Those will deteriorate over time. And as soon as you start driving a car, let's say you've got, like the earlier uh, caller, a Lincoln Town car. Uh-huh. That has a very heavy exhaust. It does. Usually a dual exhaust, very, very heavy. You hit a couple of bumps, it breaks loose, it's hanging under the car, it's tangled up. Maybe it's damaged, maybe it damages something else. It's just not worth it. You could have changed the little hangers very inexpensively. And, again, that kind of brings up another point. You have to sort of be prepared when you get into trying to bring, trying to resurrect an old car. Oh, definitely. You've got to be ready to work on it. And you've got to be ready to spend some money. Sure. Most of the time, I've got to say, you could probably go and find a running car of the same year model and all and pay the full price for it and still be dollars ahead of what it's going to cost you to bring this old car back. It depends on how much skill you have, mm-hmm. how much you can do by yourself, and how much you have to have paid mm-hmm. to have done. Mm-hmm. really will depend on how that car comes out Well, that and, and how much you're going to spend. Yeah, a lot of folks would, if you have a sentimental attachment to the car, God, I get that, I really do. This is the car you always wanted, this particular car. Maybe your wife and you, first date, went out in this car. Right. Maybe it was one of your parents and just it has sentimental attachment. I got that. If that's the case, just be prepared. This is not going to be an inexpensive project. No, it's not. Even if the car is given to you. We see this all the time where someone will die and one of the family members, well, I'm going to get this car. It's a, it's a cream puff, man. It's only got 20,000 miles on it. You could have went and bought a oh, yeah. car. Yeah, a a car like that with 20,000 miles is going to be in real bad shape once you start driving it. Yes, and you start talking about replacing all of the fuel system, right? replacing all of the brake system, probably replacing the shock absorbers, maybe a lot of the rubber in the suspension. The rubber in the body. The rubber in the body in many cases. Maybe tires. I mean, you're just going to end up putting a lot of money into the car. Yep. It's probably not going to be a sound financial decision right it's more of an emotional decision and like i said i get this you know i've always wanted a world war ii era willis or ford gpw jeep uh-huh and even owning a, sh- a shop with all the manpower all the equipment and everything when i really started looking at my logical side said lewis <laughs> <laughs> this is just not going to work out right it's just going to cost too much to bring this thing back and it's just going to cost too much to keep it going right and it's one of those things where you have an attachment to it, you wanted it, and all that. But at some point, you have to logically make a decision. How much is this going to cost to do? And then you can kind of weigh it out a little bit better. But many, many, many times people say, well, I'm getting this car for free. No, no, no. It, no nothing <laughs> nothing in this world is free. Exactly. <laughs> hey, one more quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? 
Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? <laughs> no, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. <laughs> wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. <laughs> Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? Our number is 291-6901, and that's what John did. Good morning, John. Hi, it's John from Toronto calling. Hi, John. How are Hello. you this morning? You, fellas. Doing wonderful. Good. Our friend uh, Christy has an 08 Accord. And the bracket on the back of the of the muffler at the back of the car mm -hmm. is broken away, but the muffler doesn't isn't broken as okay. far as the muffler. Yeah. Talked to some people, and I've asked maybe you could just weld it. I think it may be they may be prone to that. I don't know, but I wondered what your thoughts are and whether you do that. Yes, sir. We uh -oh. do that quite a bit, John. And what would be best if you could find someone who had what they call a MIG welder, M-I-G, that's metal in their gas. <laughs> that's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, right. yeah, a MIG welder with stainless steel wire would be best. Reason being, okay. those mufflers are either going to be stainless or they're going to be anodized. Okay. And when you weld it with a mild steel wire, you're going to burn all the anodization off. And if you put mild steel on stainless, you're going to put have a corrosion hazard i know you've been in canada they probably have some salt on the roads a little bit yeah a little bit but if you could <laughs> find someone with a a mig or even a tig type machine who could, yeah, who could weld, weld it stainless yeah and that's a very minimal job yeah. i mean that would take 10 minutes for somebody who knows what they're doing so i think the cost as long as the muffler is fairly sound other than that it's well worth welding together but I heard you say something about some type of wire that you need to have. Yeah, well, if you have a MIG welder, it's a wire feed machine. Oh, and I... It uses a carbon uh, carbon dioxide, CO2, sometimes yeah. argon mixed gas as a shield gas, yeah. and the wire feeds out, and that's how it doesn't use a stick. I mean, it could be done with a stick machine, but it's yeah, just... You have to turn it way, way, way down. It's so much, hard to so weld better small to do stuff it yeah. with a MIG. A MIG has a little tiny, either 023, 030, or 035 wire, so you can really turn an amperage down where you don't burn holes and stuff. Okay. Well, the other thought somebody said was just leave it. It's got the front bracket. Well, well it's no, it needs too much, both. Yeah, it's putting too it much need, load on the It needs both. One. And, you know, if they don't want to go to the expense of welding it, they could probably come up with a clamp-type hanger with a screw yep. in the body. And just yep. put, but it needs a support in the back. I mean, Honda didn't put two supports because one would do. Well, I'm with you. That's I didn't like that answer. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting one day she's going to back out of the driveway in a snowstorm and it's going to end up under the car. Yep. Well, what the worst-case scenario, if it drops down and you back into a curb, it's going to jam that entire exhaust system. It's going to probably bend the catalytic converter, which is very expensive. It may break the exhaust manifold or even damage yeah. the floor. So, yeah, it's not something you want to just let go, and, and it can be fixed relatively easy right now. So you're, say, so you're saying then it may be then the other fathers to get them to 
put a bracket around it and basically they could do that with a bracket a, a universal yeah. bracket with like a little leather strap with a clamp on it you could clamp that on and put a screw into the body somewhere wouldn't look okay. as attractive but i mean it would certainly do the job car's nine years old so i guess it's yeah. okay yeah. <laughs> yeah that would be very inexpensive almost any muffle shop could do that all right well, it's nice talking with Hi, you john thanks for calling man Okay, bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. And if John can call from Ontario, you can sure call from Baton Rouge. That's right. <laughs> We're going back to our phone lines with Craig. Good morning, Craig. Hey, good morning, guys. I drive an electric car. Okay. And I wanted to get your opinion on these electric vehicles. Uh, I know Tesla just came out with the Model 3, their affordable model. And mm-hmm. uh, I heard announced, well, I guess, last month that Volvo is going to be switching all their cars by 2019 to electric or hybrid. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm wondering if you guys think this is just a trend or if it's something that is is, is going to be permanent. Only time will tell, Craig. And it, everything depends on the marketplace. You know, hybrid technology is absolutely nothing new. I mean, a 1939 German U-boat was a hybrid because it had diesel generators charging a battery and the battery was running the, the ship. The problem, in my opinion, is that be it hybrid or be it electric, it's just a lot of complexity. It seems like a very, very complicated answer to a fairly simple problem. What I would prefer is if all the engineering that went into building these things went into improving the regular old gasoline cars that we've already got, they could probably get the mileage up where you want it and be just as efficient. That being said, I mean, I, I mean, if you like it and it does what you want to do, that's fine. I don't see anything really wrong with them. Just a lot of complexity. All right. I appreciate your opinion. All right, Craig. Yes, sir. Thanks for calling me in. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 be the number. If you want to give us a call, we'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity to get your live answer today, you can always go to the website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button. A little form is going to come out. Fill it out with the vehicle that we're talking about and the symptom you have and send it on in. There you go. And, of course, you want to give the complaint and keep it as brief as possible because I do get a lot of these. And I don't want to have to read through a three-page email Mm -hmm. every every time I answer one. But try to give me what you think is the pertinent information. And, you know, we go through this a lot at the shop where people will go through a big old long drawn out affair but all i need is kind of like jack webb used to say on dragnet just facts ma'am just yeah, facts there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all i really need to know are the facts of the car because like i said if you give me a two-page thing i will still read through it and i will answer it but it takes a lot a lot of effort to sure. do that so keep it brief if you can and just give me the facts of what it is that you're trying to do and basically what we want are the symptoms correct not, you know not what you think it is or what somebody told you it is but just my car what is, yeah what is it doing that you don't want it to do and what, oh, is, what it not, is it not, not doing, doing that you do want to exactly. do? <laughs> there you go. And that's true when you get a car service as well. Sure. When you bring it in, what the man fixing the car needs to know is either what does it do that you do not want it to do when you pick it up, or conversely, what does it not do that you do want it to do when you pick it up? Exactly. Because I have people all the time will come in and say, well, it feels like it's not getting gas. Well, I don't know what that means. Uh-huh. What, what does that mean to you? That can mean any number of things to 20 different people. There's nowhere to go from that. Now, if you tell me... In the morning, I crank the car, and it turns over about 10 or 15 times before it starts. It used to not do that. When I turn it over, it would start immediately. Okay, now i got somewhere to start looking. Exactly. I know what to go after. But if you say, well, it's 
it sounds like it's not getting gas or it sounds like it's not getting spark. That really means nothing. Right. And it means even less to a technically minded person. They need the facts. You're right. Of what is the car doing or what is it not doing? Right. And it's sort of like with noise complaints, the same thing. You When you bring a car in with a noise complaint, the best thing is to ride with the tech and point out the noise. Exactly. Because I, I've gotten in several cars over the, over the years. Mm-hmm. And there's a specific noise that the customer was complaining about. Well, I get in, take off down the road. I hear five other well, noises. Yeah. And I'm not real sure which noise we're looking for. The other noises maybe have always been there. He knows they're there. Not so he's concerned not worried about, about it. it. And, and rightly so. But I don't know that. Exactly. Because I haven't driven this car before. So you have to tell me, okay, yeah, that noise, that noise, that noise. I'm not worried. I know what those are. I'm not worried about them. This, that noise. That's exactly. the one I want. And, again, you have to be fair. When you get the car fixed, he's going to fix a specific problem. That's not going to fix all the other noises. So you can't come back still doing the same thing. Uh-huh. Well, yes, it's doing the same thing in that there's a noise, but it's not doing the same thing because that is another noise. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you have to be reasonable on, on both accounts. Right. Let's go back to our phone lines with Al. Good morning, Al. Good morning, man. Yes, sir. Good morning. I have a 64 Grand Prix. Ooh. been sitting up about 25 years. Wow. I've just... Kind of a wild hair. I haven't done anything to it. But I know you mentioned before about changing oil. If I were to try to, before you tried to kick it over, what weight oil would you recommend putting in it? And would you recommend spraying those cylinders or something before you tried to kick it over? It certainly couldn't hurt. I mean, if you could take a wrench and get on that big nut on the end of the crankshaft and mm-hmm. see if it will turn over. Mm-hmm. Because if it's locked up, then not much yeah. of anything else is going to make too much difference. But yeah. if it still turns certainly doesn't hurt to pull the plugs out, spray some penetrating oil, something down there, just to give it some lubrication. What I like to do is go ahead and do, like Lewis said, put your little penetrating oil in the cylinders, uh-huh. pull the distributor out, and they make a tool that will go down to the oil pump, uh-huh. put it on a drill, and build the oil pressure in that motor before you even attempt to turn it over. Right, with fresh oil. With in fresh it, oil. Okay. And that way, that way, everything that needs to be lubricated is lubricated. I see. Just for the fact that if it did happen to start, it you would don't be want to dry. Start dry, yeah. And alternatively, if you just can't do that, you can always pull the coil wire off and, and you could crank use, it. At least it's only turning four, five hundred or three, right. four hundred RPM. It's not turning because uh-huh. yeah, if, if it happened to start and yeah. crank up dry, it's not going to be good. But if you uh-huh. crank it over, and again, those old starters didn't like to just sit there and crank and crank, crank. But crank it for maybe five seconds, stop, let it sit there for about a minute, crank it for another five seconds, let it stop, and uh-huh. eventually you'll build enough oil pressure and. Again, as far as viscosity, that probably took straight 30 weight, I would mm-hmm. imagine. I would think. Uh-huh. What about mystery oil? Would you put in that and start it? It wouldn't really it wouldn't hurt. hurt it. You know, I mean, you could pour a little bit down the carburetor, but again, a little bit because you don't want to hydrolock the engine and cause a problem. Best uh-huh. is to pull the plugs out, maybe uh-huh. pour a little down the carburetor and crank it over where it just blows out the excess. Yeah, okay. That way you're getting the lubrication you want, but, but you're not hydrolocking the engine. Right. Okay, okay. I appreciate your comments. Enjoy your program. All right, Thank Al, you. Thanks, man. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive aisle, we always love hearing from you. And it just makes the show a whole lot more interesting when we get callers with different perspectives and sure. questions. So, hey, give us a call. We're going to take our last little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office and, whoa, what is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes, yes it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year. 
except when it's on y the time. You know there's a better way, right? I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, let me get Agco's number online and uh, give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here on the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Today we were talking about older cars right. and, and just cars that have been sitting for a period of time and getting them running again. But right. Of course, and we'll take a cop, take a question on any other topic. There you go. We were just discussing during the break about the rubber parts on the mm -hmm. on the cars, and something came to mind would be the hoses on the engine. Mm -hmm. You know, the heater hoses, the radiator hoses, uh, any rubber component on the engine that has been sitting is going to break down just like the tires do. Right. And you know, you don't want to get that engine good and hot and blow, ho a, hose and blow a hose out, overheat it, or worse yet, it blow a hose out and that scalding fluids, you know, burn someone. Right. And at very least, you need to inspect these very, very well. And again, everything is a matter of degree. If a car's been sitting for six months, that's one thing. If right. it's been sitting for six years, that's a that's whole different, whole different animal. Wax. One other thing that kind of occurs to me talking about rubber are the window tracks, all the window guides. Uh-huh. Those have a nasty habit of sticking in place. Right. And you get in there and you hit the switch and you hold it and you bump it and you bump it. And either the windows won't go down or if they go down, they go down real hard and you can burn up the window motor. Sure. It's not designed it's designed to lift that glass and lower that glass. Right. It's not designed to lift a load. That would be enforced Something on trying it. to hold it in place. Yeah. Right, by the rubber. So what you would do is go in and separate the rubber from the glass. Whether you take a plastic putty knife or something, mm -hmm. kind of wedge it between the window and glass, break any seal loose that's there, roll the window down, take some silicon-type lubricant, whether it's a spray or a clear silicon grease-type stuff, paste, and you can take and coat those tracks. That way right. the window can go up and down nice and easy which will take all that load off that old motor. Sure. And the grease that is actually on the track inside the door mm -hmm. should also be looked at. Right. Because that grease is going to be hard if that car has been sitting six or ten years. The grease is going to gotten hard, and it's not going to work like it's supposed to, and it's just a, a rubber component right. in a metal track, and those little rubber wheels will break off. That's right. It breaks that little plastic wheel, and then you end up having to replace the whole uh, regulator assembly that right. was not necessary before, just lack Need of to lubrication. Be no thing it kind of occurred to me are window uh excuse me windshield wipers sure uh, many times the windshield wiper blades will be welded to the glass right. sitting for so long you might want to take and just pull those loose and go ahead and replace the wiper blades clean the windshield very good and what that does it takes all that load off that windshield wiper motor because a set of wiper blades are probably six to ten dollars a piece mm -hmm. at most and a wiper motor may be two or three hundred dollars if you can get a good one and then getting to it because most of the older cars they were up underneath the dash there was a, a rod mm -hmm. that went out to a transmission assembly mm -hmm. and all those had plastic wheels on them that's right another thing that we talked about a little bit that just want to kind of make you aware of is do a little research before you decide to restore this car uh -huh. and see how popular that car is as far as parts right 
Because if you've got a 65 Mustang, clearly there are enough aftermarket parts to build that car from scratch. Sure. 55 Chevrolet, 57 Chevrolet. These were extremely popular cars. 67 uh, Camaro. The, the, the aftermarket has come out. Right. Extremely in... popular cars. But if you've got a 75 model Buick. Right. Maybe not so much. And GM has discontinued the parts. There are very little aftermarket parts on the market. If you're not going to be able to get parts for it, then you're probably not going to be able to do a whole lot with the car. Mm -hmm. Remember, we had a good customer years ago who had a 70 model Camaro. Yeah. And again, 67 to 69 were extremely popular. 70, not so much. 71 on up were. Yes. The 70 was just kind of one of those year models. And you just, every time we had to get a part, it was just a nightmare. You sure. just couldn't get, and the parts you got were really, really poor. Yeah, that, that's something else you need to look at is the quality of the parts that you can get. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of that stuff is made offshore. Those people have never seen a, a car that that part fits. Right. They don't know what it's supposed to look like. They just, they build as to what they're told to build. And a lot of times you get them, they don't fit. They don't fit correctly. Mm-hmm. The quality is not there. You know, some of the, like uh, chrome bumpers, for instance. Right. The chrome finish is not there. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, they're pretty when they come out the package. Six months, they're faded, or they're starting yeah, to rust pits. Yeah, later, they're rusting. Yeah, so the, you got to look at the quality of the part that you can get. And it's going to be expensive to do this once. Sure. But if you have to continue to do it because the parts keep breaking down and failing, right. this is going to take what should have been a real fun experience and, and turn, turn it into, into a nightmare. Yeah, an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Finally, occurs to me the interior of the car is going to need to be clean because generally it's going to have a lot of dust, dirt, debris of all sorts. If it had vermin get in it, it's going to right. have damage. Damage. So all that needs to be looked at. And the thing you got to think about is this stuff was made back in the 60s, 70s, early 80s. The cleaners that were designed to be used back then were probably compatible. Mm-hmm. But the new cleaners may not be compatible with the old materials. Right. They're designed for the new materials. Right. And so if before you go and spray this interior cleaner all, all over all over the place and find out that it eats holes in it right. or fades it or stains it, you want to find a little small spot that really doesn't show hardly at all. Like maybe maybe a, under a back seat. A piece of seat cover that's wrapped around or something. Right. Spray a little bit on that and try it and see what happens. And if it's good, it cleans it, and it doesn't harm it in any way, shape, or form. And I would probably give that about a day. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I've seen stuff that has bleaches, cleaners, solvents. Right. And what will happen, you spray it on there, and everything looks fine. And within 24 hours, you got a big white spot there yep. on your nice blue interior. So you always want to be very careful with this stuff when you're cleaning it. I mean, for the most part, if soap and water will do the job, that's probably going to be one of your go. safer things yeah. and again you got to watch some of the soaps that are out there right some of the dishwashing liquids and all have all sorts of things in them that could damage that so if you can just brush it off clean it up vacuum with it that out. vacuum it out that's best but again before putting anything on an elderly interior be very very careful last thing uh, as well is that if you are using some type of spray to maybe clean the dash and all be careful and use this stuff very very slightly because if you just start spraying this dash down it can run in through the cracks get into the gauges right get into the radio get into the vents and cause all kinds of problems use i like to spray it on a rag and use the rag just to wipe it to wipe it instead of spraying the, the product directly on the on the interior mm-hmm. yeah it runs in like I said, there's all kinds of little cracks oh, yeah. and crevices and what have you 
this stuff gets into some of the stuff under the dash, and now you've just taken a big job and turned it into a much, much bigger job. Yeah, monumental <laughs> task. There you go. So I guess to summarize, make sure you've got a car that you can get parts for. Quality parts. Quality parts. That's going to be a big thing. Right. Make sure the fuel system is not just completely devastated before you get into the car. Right. And, again, have fun with it. Get something that you like, something well, that you I like mean, to do. That's what it's for. Mm-hmm. It's there to, to in, enjoy. So, like you're saying, get something you, you want to work on. There you go. And another thing is you have to have, if you want to do this yourself, you're going to have to have, obviously, the tools to do sure. it with, a, a nice set of tools. Some specialty tools. But you more, you're going to have to have a place to do this. Exactly. Because out in the driveway is probably not going to work out real well for you. Even under an open carport is not the best. Right. I mean, if you had a, a garage where you could pull it up in the middle, when you strip the car, everything goes to each side, lays on the floor, and as you go through it, you bring it back and put it back together. That would be the, the ideal situation, maybe a lift to work off a of. A lift would be excellent. And, again, if you disassemble this car, you got to remember you take the window out. It can't sit out in the driveway now. Exactly. So not only that, but you've got problem with theft. People will come and steal parts off your old car sure. in the driveway. So you want to have a secure place to work on it, something that's convenient. I mean, best would be an air conditioned. <laughs> now, I was just fixing to say, preferably somewhere comfortable. Work air, but at least get a big old shop fan of some sort that yep. can blow some ventilation through there while you're in that during the summer months, particularly. But yeah, if you got a place to work on it, it's going to make the entire project sure. so, so much more enjoyable. Yep. And now, I'm not talking next to your wife's car that she pulls in and out every day. Yeah. You know, you need a place where you can break this car down, and if you have to, you can close the door. Lock it and walk away, well, and what, nothing gets disturbed. You and I both have built a number of cars, and for the most part, it's something we enjoy. It's fun, but it can also be very frustrating. Oh, yeah. And oh, when definitely. you get to a point of frustration, the it's, best thing is to be able to pull the door down. Walk away. Lock it up. Go do something else. Come back two days, two weeks. Yeah, whenever. Mm-hmm. I, I used to do that all the time. And, again, my car choice was a 55 Chevrolet. Right. Loved the cars, loved working on them, but occasionally I would just get totally frustrated by something. And that's the best time. Don't start slinging wrenches. Yep. <laughs> just, just lock the door, walk yeah. away. And I find if I sit down and just take my mind off of it, mm-hmm. a few minutes later, the problem solves itself. itself. And you can go back out there and you can go on back to work. But, I mean, it just takes... Yeah. So wanting to do it. Yeah, that. And, again, if you have alternate transportation, definitely, that is also a – actually, if this is the car that you got to have to get to work tomorrow. It's not it's probably one you, yeah, you want to try to work on. This is going to put it under a whole I, different situation. I tried that for a while. Yeah. It didn't work out. <laughs> hey, I see we are just about out of time. We want to start winding things up and getting on out of here. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be, uh, ACAST. Player FM, Pod Bay, Podcast Chart, Pod Directory, and there's dozens more dozens, out there. Dozens more. Fill out a written review if you can, and that will get us moved up in the rankings where more people can hear us. That way we can keep on doing the show. There you go. Hey, That's really what we're appreciate it. There you go. Hey, appreciate you listening this morning, every morning. Pre Signal's opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.